Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Yeah. Welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast. We in Outshine. Bitcoins, we got them. Acquire, never sell. But catch us rolling deep like Adele. Bitcoin, blockchains, cryptocurrencies. Three guys faded talking Bitcoin, no fee. That's the free Bitcoin podcast, insane. And adoption is still the only thing, thing, thing that matters, man. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast, episode number 142. I'm your first host, Big Cello. Yo, I'm host number two, D. What's up? How's it going? Oh, yeah. Radio voice. Yeah. Well, this is, um, I'm DJ Accelerate. You're DJ Fuck and I'm It DJ Up. DJ Fuck It Up. <laughs> Uh, yeah. This is another episode where all three of us aren't here. Corey's on vacation. Yeah, man. We are so... We're too busy for ourselves. Is that what... We're too busy for ourselves. Isn't that how the song goes? What song is that? It's that song from the 90s where the guys are like dancing around. <laughs> or like, oh, um, too busy for myself. Too busy for myself. I think this is just... This should have been a bye week for us, but we're s- such workaholics. We're going to give you half episodes all week long. Yeah. <laughs> we're giving you shorties all week because uh, that's how we do. Hey, man, it's late summer. We None of us have vacation. We have vacation now. So. I was sick last week, too. Yeah. But anyways, hey, how much did you love those ads in the last episode, Cello? I didn't. You did not. What exactly did you not like? About that. Uh, you did not say why you should use them. There was no websites. People didn't know how to get to it. We so you're saying is we're taking our listeners for advantage that they're going to be able to Google the things that we say. We need to outline it a little better. Just give us some constructive feedback right now. Well, show. it was just like, hey, we're brought to you by ice cream. It's pretty good. We're also brought to you by cereal. That's basically what you did. <laughs> that's like, not, I guess that's not very good. Like, there's a lot of gambling sites out there, but we're brought to you by a very specific one, and we have to let people know why it's better than the others. Okay, so I need to work on my advertising skills, I guess. Okay. I mean, it was effective. Corey didn't think anything was wrong with it. He was like, I love it. That's the best we've ever done. Corey is um, he's very lax. <laughs> Anyways, um, so listeners, to give you the rundown, we're going to hit you with some ads a little bit today. Uh, we're going to discuss just a little bit, and then we're going to hop right into what was a great interview with Alex Sunderberg from Coindesk, uh, also co-founder of Lawmore.io. Um, if you never used Lawnmower before it turned into the Lawnmower it is now, it was an awesome app. It allowed you to round up spare change and like 
buy Bitcoin with your spare change. It was amazing. Now it's kind of like a portfolio tracking app uh, where you can put a bunch of different cryptos, a bunch of different stuff together, and it's going to tell you how your performance is. If you're a smart investor, if you're a dumb as bowels investor, it's going to tell you all of it. But anyways, um, Cello, I believe you wanted to tell us something about Bitcoin ATMs. Is that correct? I did. But before I get to that, does Alex look like he's the type of guy that would enjoy hot yoga? He does, actually. He does look like he's the type of guy who would you know, step into the hot yoga sauna and do some downward dogging. You know? Oh, I get that vibe. All right. We're brought to you by Athena Bitcoin, which is the most trusted name in Bitcoin ATMs. They're located in Philly, Florida, Houston, D-Town, all over. Basically, we believe in them. We're brought to you each and every week by them. So download the Athena Bitcoin wallet on the App Store, Google Play, and for specific locations to see if they're located near you. AthenaBitcoin.com. They take Litecoin now. They're growing. Uh, We're also brought to you by Athena Bitcoin's portfolio company, BitQuick.co, the secure, quick, and easy peer-to-peer Bitcoin marketplace where you can get Bitcoin for cash in as little as three hours. Where there's a bank, there's BitQuick. Do Do we have a jingle for them? We do, we do. It's bit quick. Get your bits quick. There you go. We're also brought to you by a sponsor that Corey doesn't like, but guess what? They're here, and I like them. BetKing. BetKing.io. In fact, um, you're going to do a little Mayweather McGregor betting. This is the place to do Who do you got, by the way? Uh, you know i got to take my boy Mayweather. He's your boy, really. No, I actually do not like him as a human. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you think he's going to win regardless? I think he's going to win, and I got to represent America. And Conor McGregor really gets on my nerves. The thing that gets on my nerves the most about Conor McGregor is that he backs up all the shit that he talks, which makes you get even more frustrated with him because it's just like, dude, shut up. Oh, and you're good? Crap. There's nothing I can do but just sit back and watch you be annoying as hell and everyone up it's so annoying that's the way i feel about conor mcgregor i feel the same way and his walk dude he walks like a goon in a video game from 1993 like it just gets it's everything about conor mcgregor gets on the nerve but uh, that vince mcmahon swagger walk yeah that like I'm hey get her roll my arms out like a goon and sorry if you're listening I have very like the the across the chest plate tattoo. I don't know, man. It's annoying. It's just an annoying, he's an annoying human to me. I get I you. would never say that to his face, or maybe I would, and he'd knock me out, and then I'd be rich if I didn't die. So, all right. Well, uh, Bet King is the only place where man over three hundred sixty million bets have occurred. Over seventy four hundred Bitcoin investors have profited, and four hundred thousand Bitcoin wagered. So. Go to BitBetKing.io. Feel like a high roller for once, right? I mean, that's why we're talking about this. And it only gets better because the upcoming relaunch of BetKing will be launched off with an ICO. Those funds for the site will be bankrolled in the marketing promos, SEO design. Basically, it's just going to make it a more comfortable, easier, and all-around better experience. They've made a profit of nearly 7,400 Bitcoins. Why don't you join that? Why don't you get rich? Ethereum, Litecoin support. Boom. So... Learn more about BetKing, head on over to BetKing.io. 
subscribe to that newsletter and get the latest news and updates delivered directly to your inbox. And it's also a great way to get another ICO where all funds will be held in cold storage. Bet King. If you're going to bet, don't fret. Go to betking.io and let the dice roll. That was a good one. That's that's good. Dude, I'm I'm a I'm good at this shit. Like I picked the wrong call and give me something, I'll make a jingle. Anything. You know that's what Uncle Jesse did for a living. I do know that's what Uncle Jesse did for a living. And Uncle Jesse was also the most sought after uncle on that show. So I mean Give me something. I'll make a jingle. Um make a jingle about my dog barking. All right. Which dog is it? That is my my lab, my golden lab. All right. Hey, my name is Cello's dog. I'm a golden lab, and I like to interrupt his shows because I'm a pab. <laughs> That's funny because I named my dog Marcello's dog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's talk about some Bitcoin stuff just for a little bit before we get into uh, the interview. So to split or not to split, that is the question. Thank you, Shakespeare. What do you think is going to happen? you think we're going to have a split? Are you scared? Do you care? Do you not? I don't care. However, <laughs> however, I think we're taken care of because there's exchanges like Kraken that do support the split. And then there's places like Coinbase that don't. So regardless of what happens, there's always going to be a home for your money. But I don't think we have anything to worry about. Yeah. I really think everyone's throwing this out of proportion. I think that um, even Corey sometimes, and he's like, a contentious split could bear the end of the universe, as we know. It's the point of singularity where all masks get sucked into an infinite black nothingness. And I'm like, that's a bit much, Corey. And although you've never actually said those words... Um, I don't think anything's going to happen. I think it's going to be just like the last. I think it's going to be just as exciting as earlier this year. Or was that last year? When we had the happening and there were people throwing parties and people were like just getting lit and people were like dancing naked on a hotel rooftops because there's going to be a happening and it had and Bitcoin halved and like nothing happened. We were like, oh, okay, well, well, that was that was the thing. I guess we just move on. That's what I think is going to happen here in a, couple, a few days. I think it's going to be August 1st. I think there's going to be a sharp decline in price because traders are going to trade. You can't stop a trader from trading, right? Mm-hmm. Every time a trader sees an opportunity, he's going to say, like, all right, well, let me just, like, put a bunch of sell orders on there real quick and we'll let the emotions take hold. Or if there's any good news, like Microsoft has announced that they're making uh, Bitcoin sandwiches to hand out to their employees. They're like, oh, well, let me put a bunch of buy orders in there real quick and raise the price real quick. I mean, you can't stop a trader from trading. It's, they're trying to make a living. but I think pe- people are just going to buy up more Bitcoin because they want Bitcoin cash so that they can immediately dump it back into Bitcoin. That's a smart play. I'm not going to lie to you. Some people might not like this. I just got into Bitcoin, but when the Ethereum network split, I had Ethereum and Ethereum Classic, and I made some free money. It was dope. (laughs) It was awesome. But I know what you're thinking. 
if you're new to Bitcoin and you see this and you're like, well, what's to keep this thing from splitting infinitely and you keep doubling your money? It's like, because that's not going to work because that would bring the whole damn system down. And the system is beautifully engaged so that we're not going to infinitely split um, to make more and more people money because that is an unsustainable action. It's an unsustainable path of behavior. So I like that. And you have so much influence and pull this week that someone bought Litecoin just based on something funny that you said. Yeah, I know, really. Hold up. Let's see. Let's try it again this week. I would heavily recommend hey! you go out and buy some. Um, damn, I was going to say assets that I own, but I'm not that kind of jerk. Go out and buy some uh, Kanye coin if it's still around. Because Kanye West has let everyone down with his behavior for the past decade. So buy some Kanye coin and troll his ass and then send it to Kim Kardashian's PR representative's email and say, hey, here's some Kanye coin. You're going to need it. And I say buy some file coin just because. (laughs) Yeah, investment advice for Cello and D. Well, anyways... um, you got anything you want to talk about before we head into the interview? Uh, let me see here. Yeah. Uh, roll it. Yeah. Hey, be sure to check out www.vedrell. How do you say his name? What's Dylan's last name? Vedrell. Vedrell. Vedrellsoccer.com. B-E-D-R-A-L soccer.com where the up and coming soccer stars of tomorrow train to develop individual skills and understanding of the game. Uh, if you want to attend a soccer camp, get better. Go there. Yeah. So Dylan's sick, crazy good at soccer. And for those of you that don't know Dylan, he's been on the show before. He's Corey's uh, childhood friend. He's also kind of like our, our marketing manager slash media manager. He helps us out with that stuff. Super cool guy. He's actually like he played college soccer. Um, he's real, real fucking good at soccer. Like so, he runs a soccer camp and he trains up kids. And if you got a kid that plays soccer and you want him to be better at soccer, and you've got them in the league where they don't hey. get, like free trophies for showing up, you've got them in the competitive league. And you want them to be competitive, and you live in North Texas, <laughs> then you should go to VedroSoccer.com. So. Yeah, if you're in that very niche audience where you listen to this podcast, live in North Texas, and want to attend a soccer camp, this is perfect. <laughs> this is right up your alley. This is right in the middle of your Venn diagram. It's all the shades. Okay. Um, interview time. Yeah, it's interview time. So Alex Sunberg with CoinDesk. Um, well, now he's with CoinDesk. He writes amazing oh. analyses. He uh, one. I want to say this, and I don't just give out compliments willy nilly. I dogged the guy right after we interviewed him. I think it was Bitwage, and I kind of chat on his app. But sorry about that, Chester. But. Alex puts his passion into what he writes and what he researches, and you can tell that in his writings on Medium, and he's easily transferred that into Coindesk. So, very bright guy. I see a huge, like, huge 
career for him in crypto. Very knowledgeable. Um, go get Lawnmower if you don't have it. I mean, I still have it. I still use it to check out my portfolio is doing. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, here it is. Hey, everybody. We're here today with Alex Thunderbird uh, from Coindesk. And he's just going to be kicking it with us, a co-founder of Lawnmower. Lawnmower Dio, if you guys still remember that from back in the day, it's still rolling. We're going to ask a little bit about it. I'm still interested in Lawnmower. But for anyone who's unfamiliar with you, Alex, would you like to plug yourself real quick for the audience? Sure. Like you said, I'm co-founder of Lawnmower. Um, the, it was a mobile app that started out in the start of 2015. Uh, me and two of my buddies, Peter Garcia and Patrick Archambault, uh, moved from Florida to California to start this app that was initially called Convert Your Spare Change into Bitcoin. Uh, so we obviously all loved Bitcoin, thought the existing exchanges at the time were pretty hard to use. So we thought we'd make this really passive, uh, easy way for people to invest. Um, we went through the Boost VC program. We partnered with Coinbase. Uh, we worked with Plaid for a bit on that point. Uh, over time, we actually took out the spare change functionality, but added new stuff like the ability to buy Ether, set up recurring uh, trades every week or month. We also added research, kind of uh, giving some people some context to what these different assets are. So one thing we thought was interesting at the time was, you know, hey, there's a lot of exchanges that make it pretty easy to buy these or maybe not that easy. But the a huge missing piece was like the exchanges don't have any information or resources or news or anything like that. So we were like, OK, we should blend these two to really be a person's, you know, first step in the door. Hey, I have this app that I can buy through. Oh, I can also learn about it. Oh, cool. It features these other cryptocurrencies I can learn about too. Um, so we just really built out our research and data and we're trying to just serve as this resource to the industry. Uh, and about the end of 2016, uh, we started talking to Coindesk about uh, sort of bringing our app over to the Coindesk site to help improve theirs. Uh, we also had a bunch of ideas of, you know, hey, we should expand beyond just showing the Bitcoin price chart on Coindesk. You know, why don't we have Ether? Oh, in the future, we should add more. You know, why do our guides only show this one thing? You know, it's pretty obvious this is a huge movement and entire asset class now. So uh, sort of they aligned with that vision, thought that it made sense. And in January of this year, uh, me and my two buddies, Peter and Patrick, started working here. Uh, I'm a research analyst. So Probably the most notable thing from the Coindesk perspective I do is the quarterly state of blockchain report. Um, so it's like a 100-page industry overview talking about public blockchains from Bitcoin to Ether to all these dApps to Monero, Zcash, you know, everything to enterprise blockchains. What's up with EEA, Hyperledger, uh, everything there. We touch on government and regulation, investment, both traditional venture capital and this huge, crazy new ICO trend. Uh, so it's trying to be a big overview for the industry. And uh, if anyone listening went to the consensus conference that Coindesk puts on in New York, I was able to debut sort of some findings from that presentation there. And uh, on the product side at Coindesk, I've just been working on sort of what I said before, just expanding out the data offerings. So, you know, I'm very much of the vision that Coindesk is a major resource for the industry. So, you know, we have a venture capital database. Let's eventually launch an ICU one. You know, we have a Bitcoin price chart. Let's launch an Ether one and a Ripple one and a Litecoin one. And also, like, let's start streaming some network information. So just why do I have to go all to all these different websites to see, like, 
you know, the amount of Bitcoin transactions on the network today or what what's the current price of an Ethereum transaction fee. Um, but I guess I'll start stop rambling at this point. Uh, I just like researching and data in the cryptocurrency space a lot. So that's that's what I do every day. Yeah, that's something that nice. like me and you definitely have a strong alignment with is this this need for real strong unbiased objective sources of data so that if people have questions they can go to somewhere and find them and i feel like that's really 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 lacking in, the, in this entire space as well as as i'm sure you know you can agree with me here there's a lack of analysts that are able to even take that data and turn it into something that's digestible uh, yeah I, I know you got a lot of feedback from the, the stuff you you brought out at consensus as well as the token summit afterward of of like let's start like taking this type of stuff and really giving people tools they can make better decisions with yeah 100 percent. and like you said you know i love the stuff you do on different ico like token holder analysis and and like you said there's just so much data out there and a you know no one really illustrates the data and beyond that you know there is a lack of analysts so no one brings any context to it or like even if you kind of came from the i guess more technical side and you see a lot of this data you know like one interesting thing is okay like these icos are you know launching with these valuations of xyz how's the token structured like what is the supply down the road it's just i guess a lot of different um like subjects coming together into one so 100 percent, we just need more transparency and people just publishing information and giving context to you know the craziness going on what about so also, this, go ahead, dude. go ahead i was gonna say like as this industry keeps on getting more and more mature do you see a like the the likelihood of cryptocurrency just being a bona fide asset class and people just hold it in their portfolios and it is what it is from them forward yeah i mean 100%. I mean, I think we're already kind of seeing that with the launch of all these crypto funds, the continued push to these ETFs, the more kind of friendly, you know, buy and hold exchanges, uh, even I, I would say we're pretty much almost there. But by all means, I think it's only going to continue to get bigger. More FAs are going to learn about it, more traditional finance firms are going to learn about it, you know, the big four like uh, advisory firms already put Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies in a bunch of their research. It's all over the media. Um, it's pretty popular now. And I think sort of, uh, of course, as retail gets more interested, companies will just figure out how better and better to provide them access to it. And it seems people, uh, you know, a lot of people are really interested in holding it too and not just speculating and day trading. So uh, by all means, yes, I think it's already pretty much proven itself to be its own independent asset class and it'll only continue to get bigger. How do you feel about like the quality of information? So like it, it, there's not a lot of places I can go where I go read something and, and have a good feeling that it's coming from um, a good journalist who understands what's going on. So like, and I can trust what he says and his analysis of whatever he's, he's saying behind it or just his complete unbiased opinion or like transparent bias of, maybe his affiliation or something. I feel like it's really difficult to, to parse sentiment in journalism. And I agree like, one, sorry, go ahead. But I agree one million percent. <laughs> like how do we like, is that because we're so nascent? Is that because like we have intrinsically brought a, like an economy to 
people's opinions and how they feel about different aspects of this thing and, 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 and manipulating that sentiment is potentially good money if you are one of the few people putting out this types of journalism? Like, how, how do you feel from your own perspective as well as like Coindesk's perspective, if you can even parse the two? Yeah, I mean, Coindesk tries to be as unbiased as possible, but one major thing is just in this space, I mean, sort of the people that know the most about it and the most respected journalists and anyone writing, you know, have been the people that have been involved for the longest. And undoubtedly, most people that, you know, have been around crypto for a while, you know, acquired some crypto probably along the way. So it's really hard at this point to find any one that's been writing about crypto for a long time that has a knowledgeable opinion that isn't biased in some way, you know, whether it's holding it or just have some certain political views on the space. And it definitely comes out in writing. I don't really know how, uh, like avoidable that is, but to your point, I mean, now it's like, I find the most quality information from like Slack channels, random, really deep Reddit threads that link to, you know, mailing lists, um, you know, on Twitter, following the right people, just the actual sources of good information. There's really not that many and sort of the new entrants to the spaces, uh, like the traditional firms are kind of just reiterating what, you know, the couple journalists in the crypto space, write. And even now it's like, with the advent of, you know, everyone just wanting to conduct a token sale and raise as much money as possible. It's like, you can't even judge the direct company's technical work because there's definitely not financial like marketing aspect, you know, in every single one of their posts. So, um, I don't know if I did a great job explaining that, but I think I just can echo your sentiment that 100%, like information is really hard to find and people definitely have, you know, definitely biases. Sometimes they're obvious. Sometimes they're a little more hidden, but yeah, you really just need to be aware of, you know, what is this person's history? How do I think they think, uh, where are they coming from? What possibly could they, how could they be gaining from this, uh, et cetera. But, uh, I mean, you're totally on point with that comment. Do you, uh, do you think that could be a hindrance to mass adoption? I mean, if information is increasingly biased and it's hard to find good stuff and you're trying to get on rap, you're trying to get into this stuff, but you kind of find that it's just one giant crypto is the greatest thing ever. And there's no cons at all. <laughs> it's you know, anybody, you know, anybody's a little wise is going to say, yeah, no, thanks. Yeah, it's funny. At Coindesk, we call that mentality like the fanboys. And <laughs> that's kind of where it started. And, you know, one of my statistics on the stage uh, that I presented at Consensus that was really telling and, you know, turned the most heads was in, I think I did this last survey in like February or kind of right before Ether rallied. And there was like two charts right next to each other. I asked like the most straightforward questions ever. Just how do you feel about the current state of Bitcoin right now? This was like right when transaction fees were starting to go up. So I think in Q4, the average transaction fee was like 20 cents. In Q1, it got up to like 62 cents on average on the Bitcoin network. And then uh, like in May, it was going, it got all the way up to like five bucks. But kind of right during that, people were like 50-50, you know, both extremely negative through moderately negative to to positive. It was just kind of split directly in half. Uh, Ether at that point was like 95% of people felt positive and like 3% of people had anything negative to say. And on stage, I at least tried to allude to, you know, this is 
this is kind of crazy because all of less than a year ago when the Dow happened, Ether forked, you know, four times in a row, Ethereum Classic came out, you know, people were really bearish on the protocol. And then one idea was floating around in my head that kind of scared me was like, how many people that currently own Ether even know what the Dow is? And I recently did a poll on Twitter. I hope the results are kind of accurate, but seemingly everyone who responded kind of felt similarly that, you know, a lot of newcomers don't even know what Ether is or sorry, what, know what the DAO is that hold Ether, which spawned a whole new asset. So they probably don't even understand the relation of Ethereum Classic to Ether. But uh, sort of on that same note as well, I just did a recent survey, which results will come out in sort of the next data blockchain uh, report. But on the Coindesk, you know, the Coindesk user base is primarily who responded to this survey since it was embedded in an article. And I think it was like almost 50% of everyone who responded and it was pretty good number of respondents, like over a thousand, about 50% of them first acquired their first cryptocurrency this year. So it's just like we have this massive influx of brand new users who aren't really fully aware of the history, uh, which I thought was crazy. But kind of to your point, I think we're in this like intermediate lull right now where uh, there are limited experts and it's hard to find information. And we are seeing traditional sources, uh, you know, trying to start covering it more. Obviously, there's a pretty big learning curve and they're going to kind of source the people already in the industry. But, you know, as more and more people come in and, you know, there are a lot of smart people at these traditional places that eventually will get it. I think the information will get better over time. But right now we're sort of in this uh, place where like the entire market has rallied, but really the sort of industry experts and writers uh, haven't seen this big, you know, inflow of new people reporting yet. That's a weird, almost double-edged sword here with, with kind of what you just mentioned here. And that you, you mentioned that we have a lot of new users that are coming in that are, you know, bushy-tailed, ready to go, ready to get on this train. And they don't really understand the history of the things that they're buying. But should they? Like, should do do, do, are they required to in order to really understand the idea of where it's going? And if they're not, do they have the tools necessary to understand where it's going? Can they do the do, can they do proper due diligence without understanding the history? Is that is that like I'm trying to yeah, figure that's... this out? That's, it's an interesting question because I'm not sure that you can understand how this technology is affecting people if you don't somewhat understand the history of what you're buying and. I'm not sure there's enough proper. Oh, dogs are going nuts. I'll just have to cut this out. I don't know. Maybe a spider moved outside. I'll, we'll cut this out. <laughs> you know, I'm leaving it in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> people got to get the realness. We have lives, people. Yeah. So, anyway, before my, my dog so rudely interrupted me, um, I'm not sure that. If people jump in, there's enough. It's easy for them to do proper due diligence on these whatever new types of assets that they're throwing their money into. And kind of what you said earlier, because there's no good information, like all these ICOs are popping up so quickly that the, the savvy investor or the smart investor doesn't even have enough time if there was proper information or a central source of information to do proper due diligence. It's a, it's a spray and pray. 
Yeah, and I guess to your point, it's good to differentiate. You know, if you are investing, especially serious, yes, you should do as much due diligence as possible. And if you're not doing due diligence, I think that's extremely concerning times one billion. If you are just a <laughs> quote unquote user, though, I mean, if you, you know, want to actually use the functionality of a DAP that, you know, eventually there will be live DAPs, let's all hope. Or if you actually want to transact a small amount on the Bitcoin network for experimentation or to send your friend five bucks to use it because it's cool. At that point, I don't think you really need to know the history that much. You know, I think it's interesting and you should probably, you know, do yourself a fig favor and figure it out because it's an uh, exciting movement. And, you know, why not get behind it, in my opinion? But, uh, yeah, so I guess just I want to differentiate those two, you know, uh, and sort of all these new ICOs are really taking the like attention of the media away from stuff like Bitcoin. So really when you are just hearing all of these upcoming ICOs and all this hype and the valuation jumping on projects that are not live yet, it's like, yeah, at that point, if you want to get involved, it's not because you want to actually use the technology or there's some great consumer facing app. That's so cool. You know, if there was at that point, I'd be like, you know what? It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Of course you can jump in before you fully have done a fundamental analysis of how this asset works. But um, yeah, I guess just the influx of all these new projects that are not live yet. And the fact that they're being mostly written about from a financial or investment perspective is um it kind of scary when you don't really have knowledge on the history there. But in the future, you know, as you know, not everyone's just trying to invest. People are actually just trying to use these applications. I think at that point it will be less important, you know, how how familiar you are with the history of everything. Yeah, I think there's got to be like I think there has to be leveling. I think there's always going to be this revolving door of new users and new interest in this stuff. But there has to be a certain point. I think there's a certain percentage of people in that new that are willing to go the extra steps to learn how this stuff works. I think there's always going to be just that small percentage of people that are like, oh, this is really cool stuff. Jeez, man, I'm going to fly over there and I'll work it out. I'm gonna go put a muzzle on her. <laughs> anyway, I think there's always going to be a percentage of people that are like, oh, I'm not just going to throw money at this stuff. I'm going to learn about it. And there's always going to be that percentage of people that are just like, oh, I just want to try and get rich and see how that works. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And of course, the speculation part is totally unavoidable. And that's just kind of human nature and FOMO. But um, like you said, you know, as more people just generally more people come in, there will be a small percent that actually do want to do due diligence, do think it's really cool. Do think there's a need for more information? And some of these people will end up contributing and be the analysts and good journalists of the future or even just post on Reddit with more insightful stuff than, than just, you know, a flipping out that, you know, X crossed Y price today. But um, yeah, but. <laughs> I, I think that there needs to be some sort of like behavior change for this stuff, because right now everyone sees it as money. And if they see it as money and it's so starkly different than the, the money that we use every day like swiping debit cards and all that nonsense there has to be some sort of like behavior change like right. i well, think I have, apple kind of try what's up go ahead I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna add on to that when you're done with your well the reason why i say that is 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 just because you don't really get paradigm shifts without a behavior change right like you don't 
Like it's it's always really small, but it's small that it's a really small, simple behavior change that causes some huge leap in advancement and whatever. Like if we went from riding horses to riding bikes. Like obviously more people were riding horses at the time and they were like, What the hell is that guy doing riding a bike? What is that thing? Right? And then a couple more people do it and they're like, Oh, this is actually way better. This is this is way better. That's a behavior change. You know what I mean? Like a physical yeah, but change the, the problem behavior. with that is, like, you don't, you cannot have a behavior change until you have, like, a behavior change is an emergent process. It comes from the availability of somebody to, to interact with each other in a different way. So that means that you need to have people, you need to have things for people to interact with. You can't have a behavior change without the thing that makes them change their behavior. So, for instance, the types of things we're talking about, people aren't going to see these different tokens and and cryptocurrencies or whatever, like all of this technology as anything different than a currency until we have applications or decentralized applications that allow them to do things differently that isn't just using it like a currency. As of right now, it's all speculation on these things. So yeah. you need to have all of these things making money actually have applications that allow people to do things differently that they're doing now or use this technology different than a, a base currency for us to have a behavior change, which is an emergent, emergent phenomenon. Yeah, I agree with that. Sort of in the past, it seems like, you know, speculation and gambling have probably been issues with a percentage of the public for, you know, as long as time has ever existed. And in the past, like that was curbed with stuff like consumer protection laws or accreditation requirements, which Obviously, we completely just sidestepped uh, with blockchain because we can just be anonymous. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, I was, oh, man, I was about to comment on one more thing. Ah, oh, shit. Take your oh, time. <laughs> Take your time. Yeah, this, this conversation, I would say, is much more professional than every other conversation you've ever had. <laughs> that Why means we're that? growing up, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> go listen. Go listen to the first lawnmower episode. Oh yeah, that's right. We were getting mature with the industry. I'm gonna just burn Peter and Pat since they're not here and just blame them for that. Then. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys ever use our uh, CD album cover in any of your really super professional business meetings? That's literally still probably the greatest image I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> the attention to detail and how many funny little things are in that is so good. I should post that up on my Twitter as a pinned tweet for the dawn of time after this. Yeah, you can thank <laughs> oh, Marcello for that one. I remember, I remember my point. Um, yeah, so on that sort of shifting consumer behavior, or, you know, making interesting applications, well, one thing that's kind of obvious when you think about it later, but uh, was like a startling statistic for some at consensus, I was just uh, one of the questions I did that when that presentation was like, rate your perceived familiarity level with the following. It's like Bitcoin. You know, most people think that they understand Bitcoin, uh, whether they do or not is another issue, but at least they think they do. <laughs> Ethereum, you know, they still people still pretty much are into it. They're familiar. They're interested. When you start throwing in stuff like Hyperledger or Chain or any of these permissioned or enterprise projects, a lot of them which have, you know, pretty, still pretty big, powerful value props, people are just less interested and familiar. And I really think the underlying thing there is simply because of that, you know, where's the token? I can't buy a Hyperledger. And uh, just so many of these people have gotten involved purely 
uh, for for speculation and investment. And you know, people are just the nature, uh, especially before it's live yet. They're just not probably going to spend their time, you know, researching these different protocols and projects that they can't really, you know, financially benefit from in the short term. You know, if if someone if two projects came out tomorrow and one had a token and one did not, I, I guarantee you, like, overwhelmingly more people would uh, just research and dive into the token one first, like 100%. Well, that says a lot It'll for what it actually charged. does. That actually says a lot for what it does to bootstrap a community to learn about what someone's doing. If they have, if you've, if you've tacked on this little, like, piece of a puzzle piece when you're building your system, what you're trying to do. And that piece of a puzzle piece is you can make money from this. If you invest into it using, using the technology that's blockchain, people will get into it much more than if they, if you don't do that. Yeah. And I guess, you know, uh, my tone seems kind of negative on all this because it is a little scary, especially some of these like ICO valuations and just people throwing money at anything and just lack of due diligence. But I mean, yeah, it is a really powerful thing, and it is a great way to bootstrap a network. And you know, letting people all get involved and back your project uh, from a very early stage—I mean, that's that is good in one one regard. Um, but there's also obviously a lot of negatives that come with it. But um, but yeah, like you said, that's a really powerful thing, and it's great for distribution of a project right off the gate. I mean, uh, you know, the project that doesn't have a token might not get as much support, might not get as much developers that then contribute to it. Um, so it's all interrelated and there definitely are pros and cons. I would say yeah, I'm we, guilty as charged. Yeah. It's just, we just, the standard needs to be moved closer towards if you do an ICO, have something that people can use and don't do an ICO just off an idea. Like have enough of a background, enough you know runway that you've given yourself, or like time spent on a project where people can interact with it and see the use case. So you have some underlying utility for a reason someone would buy the token, and they have enough stuff they can even look up to see what you're doing. As opposed to like me and three guys got together, we wrote a paper on this thing we might be able to do two years from now. Give us millions of dollars. Yeah, I. I agree, and I obviously hope the industry shifts like that too. But the the thing, the good question, I guess, that I hear is like, who is going to be the one that really forces these standards to evolve? You know, is it going to be the issuers? Like, sure, there eventually will be some, or there already are. There, you know, there are some responsible projects that do, you know, take a really long time before they launch the ICO. The token actually makes sense to be in the network. You know, they may be lock up funds of the founders in a way that's, you know, pretty attractive for everyone else. But, uh, you know, no doubt we're not going to be able to prevent, you know, two guys in the middle of nowhere from writing a crappy white paper, putting a Bitcoin address on the site and launching some ICO and then some gambler somewhere else that has, you know, newly acquired wealth from Bitcoin or Ether. They're, they're going to dump that in. Um, so, you know, can you really think that the standards are going to evolve from the issuer's perspective? Um, sure, some issuers will. You know, the investors, that's one thing people say, you know, investors will start to demand, you know, more attractive ICO structures and be like, hey, you can't hold back all these tokens. Hey, this supply down the road needs to be figured out before you ICO. Hey, this valuation is too much, et cetera. But there's just such a obvious plethora of people that will invest into these ICOs no matter what the structure. So at that point, it's like if I'm the ICO issuer, like it is literally more attractive for me to issue more tokens to myself. And if the investment community is not going to say no to that, 
you know, it's kind of hard to, (laughs) to, to not do that. Um, so, you know, then it's like, okay, will it be regulators? Are ICO securities? Not really, but obviously there's some similarities, you know, it's kind of just like standards should evolve. I hope they will. I hope they do. I think they will, but it's really like, how how is that going to happen? I'm not really sure. What do you guys think, I guess? (laughs) What if it were to happen from like a journalistic approach? Like what if like someone were to rate the ICOs on a scale of something to something, depending on these like, I don't know, 12 or 15 subscales of what would make a good ICO or bad ICO, 15 subscales and I think that one, would be zero to five or something. And then boom, there's your grade. Yeah, I think that would be good for the industry and will probably happen. I think a lot of the consumers of that research will be more like institutional and sophisticated. And, um, y- you know, I, I, yeah, I guess, you know, media really bashing badly structured ICOs would would potentially help. Um, even with poorly rated research reports, I'm really curious just given the seemingly absurdity of the community right now, like, you know, some, some legit organization issues a D for this upcoming ICO, yet they have still a $25 million cap. My, you know, what's the chances that it's still going to get raised because people just don't even read the research report, you know, maybe, maybe high, but I, I do like your, your thought. I, I guess media, media really getting involved in more of these, sort of like independent research firms doing public due diligence, um, you know, will be attractive. I guess one thing there to think about too is, you know, if I was starting a startup to do research on ICOs, you know, if I don't give that away for free, the only people that are going to read it are the people that are going to pay up for it, which are kind of already the sophisticated investors and who really need to read it are the people that probably wouldn't pay for it. Um, so I guess just saying, there's, there's a there's a there's a kind of direction in which this is headed. Like if you look back historically, right, like the Dow was, in my opinion, if we just take this, the subculture of ether and all the ICOs and ICO type things that have ever happened in ether, Ethereum, and look at kind of the the, the way things have gone and people's ability to um, invest in them, you have the Dow, which was the only thing that you could actually put your ether in at a time when everyone was excited about trying to put their ether into something. So basically you had the attention of everyone in that community putting their money into it. And then as the time went on, there were a few tokens, but each of these projects basically still had the attention of everybody. And I'd say the height of being able to put your money into every single project that was happening was around the token summit and consensus this past year where like everything that happened, you had money to put into it and understood what they were doing. And as time goes on, the plethora of these things that are coming out, it's too much for any single person to handle. And so you're going to have to kind of differentiate yourself from here on out because not everyone is going to see what you're doing or care because ICOs are normal. I hope that as time goes on, the people who get the attention are the ones that are doing a very good job. And it's kind of the community that slowly weeds out the people just throwing shit up because we're getting past the point of anyone throwing shit up isn't going to get the attention of everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And to add some context, I mean, you're totally right. When you look at the number of just raw ICOs plus the dollar amounts raised, I mean, June and July of this year blow everything completely out of the water. I mean, just, you know, 
Bancor, Tezos, and EOS alone raised like half a billion dollars. Um, but like you said, yeah, you know, the more the better projects are at least the ones that have like a been working on their project longer. So you've heard their name for a long period of time. You know, the entrepreneurs have more backgrounds. You know, they're written about by press that are not blatantly like paid for ads. Um, uh, yeah, that those projects will start to stand out. But like you said, I mean, now it's just it's absurd to keep up with it. I mean, if you go on any of these like ICO calendars or ICO alerts or whatever, I mean, there's literally probably like 20 plus open ICOs right now. It's 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 crazy to keep up with. But like you said, really, you know, we probably only know of a few that, you know, names we've just heard for a long time or we, you know, someone's involved who's respected in the community or or, or what mm-hmm. have you. Um, yeah, and like you said, uh, another just interesting stat, you probably know it off the top of your head, but one that I just think cool to think about looking back is I think it was like 20% of all Ether was invested into the DAO. Um, just absolutely, absolutely crazy. That, was, and like that, that said, amount was basically the reason why they forked because it was such a, it was such a large percentage of all of the Ether in circulation um, in the hands of a single malicious individual, which is a lot of the social consensus around why we should or shouldn't fork. Yeah. And now it's interesting because, you know, obviously people uh, like need to buy ether to participate in a lot of these ICOs. So that's some demand to buy ether. But, you know, now it's also interesting of sort of people grilling on the issuer. What I think a really, you know, unique statistic that's kind of hard to get unless you, you know, uh, can talk to the issuer and know all their addresses somehow is just, you know, let's say you raise $200 million of ether purely invested from, you know, people that just bought it. Uh, I'm of the belief, you know, you should not hold all your funds in ether. You're running a business. You can't pay rent with ether most places, unfortunately. But, uh, so it's like, yeah, how, how are all these projects actually holding the cash on their books? It's like with these massive ICOs, you now have these like, companies that need to kind of act like asset managers and some people in the community like don't think that they should sell their you know ether or their new tokens that they issue to themselves because they should support the space but it's like hey if there was a big downturn and they lost like half of the bank account they could have had that's not good for their you know business as a whole so yeah it's really interesting that now you know all of these new icos have this fresh cryptocurrency uh, given to them by the public, and now they have to sort of manage that and almost decide, you know, like, always <laughs> the current price of Ethereum. How should I hold this? How much should I put in dollars? Should I put it into other cryptocurrencies, like a hedge fund? Like, what? It, it's pretty wild. Uh, I, I kind of think we're going to figure all this out before regulators get anywhere close. Like, they're so far behind. I don't know. Maybe I just feel that way, but. It just feels like the regulators are so far behind all of this and we're figuring it out so rapidly that they might as well just kind of give up. I don't know. Yeah, their homework is pretty crazy. Like, okay, go figure out, you know, who, who, if any, we should take action on. Oh, my God. Now we have a database of 200 projects and the first one was like over three years ago now. Like, oh, yeah, where do we even yeah. start? <laughs> there. They've got a long learning curve to, to start trying to climb. <laughs> I just worry that, like, because you know how regulators can be sometimes. They're just like, you know what the easy thing is to do? Just make it just make it go away. Let's just make it go away so our homework goes away. 
We can do that. We're regulators. There's like a lot of, I spend, my boss has spent a lot of time talking to regulators um, and our company interacts with a lot of those types of people. I'll tell you, there's a lot of real, there's a a real amount of ignorance going on with like what you're supposed to be doing or how are you even supposed to tackle this? Lawyers are trying to get into it. And like what you've seen with like, you know, Arthur Falls legal discussions, like lawyers are getting into trying to figure out how to do this type of stuff. And they have, and they're still wholly ignorant. Like it's, it, I think it's a lot of it's based on, they don't, there's a lack of understanding of the fundamentals with what you said early, early on, Alex, they, they may think they get an idea of how this stuff works, but do they, do they really? And that stems back to the lack of really good education sources of information for understanding the nuts and bolts or like, how to think about these things from different perspectives. Yeah, hundred percent. Now it's interesting, like watching companies just try and figure out regulation themselves, or at least like what conservative moves they can play. Like, I mean, like look at, look at the upcoming Filecoin ICO, super interesting project, you know, literally I've heard about that project for like three or four years. They go and make this new partnership with AngelList. They develop this, you know, future, uh, simple agreement for future tokens. I mean, this is all just really the result of like, okay, let's just try Like these people aren't, you know, like it's just crazy. The amount of self-regulation and people just trying to, you know, some people on one spectrum just completely ignore everything. Some people go, uh, you know, to one side and only let uh, accredited investors involved, even though that's, you know, blatantly not a rule anywhere everywhere down the middle um yeah uh also just another point to kind of glean on the ignorance thing is really funny a lot of people i hear like really talk badly about icos and then a lot of those same people um you know they'll be hating on like ethereum icos and i really feel like a huge percent of people do not even realize that ethereum itself had an ico was an ico (laughs) yeah that's i think it's so funny here's this exchange. They would never trade an ICO token. I'm like, ether's on that. What are you talking about? <laughs> Ether was an ICO. <laughs> like it was a big time ICO. I would, it was the one that, one of those things you kick yourself. Cause I was like, man, seats of thing seems kind of cool, but I don't want to risk my Bitcoin on it. Yeah. That was- <laughs> yeah. Just to, just to make you double kick yourself. Yeah, so many people tell me now, like trying to calculate the returns. It's like, the Ether ICO was at $0.30. Cents. You know, it was at 400 bucks a month or two ago. It's just absolutely crazy. I, I In one of the state of blockchain slides, I was just showing, you know, everyone talks about these new ICOs. They're huge money-making opportunities. Some of them have obviously popped like crazy. The Ether itself is like blows everything out of the water. I mean, the amount of like just paper millionaires created off of that ether ico is absolutely insane i think there was about nine thousand unique investors into ethereum ico at about two thousand bucks a pop i mean that's gone up you know mm, what is that a thousand x unreal <laughs> oh man two, let me watch that into an uh one thousand x return yeah <laughs> two million bucks <laughs> i know a lot of those people yeah, I was not one I of them, know. unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, I was yeah, too. I was too conservative. Oh well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm not. Well, I'm still like. I'm. I'm not greedy. I'm. I'm doing okay. Yeah, it's but obviously. Least, but back then, though, right? It was that. That. That was an ultra risky investment. Like it was. Like, can you? Yeah. Well, like, 
they got lucky, if you will. I mean, don't get me wrong, Ethereum's a fantastic project, but just sort of like depending on how much money, like if someone threw their life savings into it, if they weren't really, you know, like financially responsible and making these types of decisions and then got lucky, can you can you say that person is a smart investor? No, you can't. It's they got they got lucky. There are a lot of people that saw the potential and held out and so on and so forth, but I'd say a good portion of the paper millionaires in the space got lucky early on because they had some some extraneous funds to just throw at the wall and this one yeah. happened to get lucky. And yeah. because of that, a lot of people who have a lot of money to throw around are throwing around a lot of money. Yeah. I don't think either one of these are done anytime soon either. Like I think Bitcoin still's got a massive, massive upswing. Ether still got some massive I think if we get like one working DAP that works really well and does what it's designed to do, then that's gonna that's gonna definitely bode some confidence in Ether. So I don't know. I'm just speculating at this point. Yeah, I mean, I'm super bullish on Bitcoin and Ether long term, too. But yeah, like you said, it's like a lot of these early investors did get extremely lucky with their Ether. And just like you said, a lot of them are going out and reinvesting now. It's like (laughs) it'll be interesting to see if that, you know, huge euphoria and maybe feeling of, you know, a lot of self-intellect will actually end up like hurting themselves down the road because now they, you know, think they can analyze every ICO and just go get wrecked. But uh, I was at least going to say there's got to be one better feeling than missing out on an ICO and those potential gains. And that's probably the horror stories of people that have heard that, you know, did participate in the ICO and yet now have, you know, gotten their accounts, either like lost their private key, got it stolen through the Coinbase, like phone number type of hack thing. Or even now, I mean, like I was blown away the other day when those, uh, three like ICO wallet uh, like dApps had their funds sweeped because they were in like a certain parody multi-sig contract. Like it's just unreal how many people have, you know, lost their balances one way or another since then. And uh, thankfully I haven't lost money like that, but I think I would be a lot more pissed than just knowing that I missed out on some ICO if I had the money. In my sort of account, taken from me. That's just like the worst to hear. So, um, to switch the conversation up a little bit. Like, what are you working on? Anything personally? You, the other guys, working on anything outside of CoinDesk? Uh, any new software? Any new projects? Thankfully, uh, especially for me, since obviously I don't write software. I mean, I'm just. I feel extremely fortunate that everything I I'm sort of interested in like it fits really well at CoinDesk. I mean, a lot of the everything I do at you know when I go home is like the same sort of like research and analysis on and data on this stuff. So I guess most of the things I do personally just end up fitting well with my CoinDesk work. So I would say right now most of my stuff is kind of wrapped uh, all together. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm not building another DApp or anything. I'm just like doing a bunch of research and finding cool data stuff. And I think CoinDesk is like the best resource in the industry. So I'm super happy to, you know, just kind of like put my name on that and be like, Hey, I helped get this new feature on CoinDesk and this is going to serve as a major industry resource. Like that's, that's cool enough for me. Nice. I can dig it. I, I, I have a strong alignment with that. Like most of what I, my, my job never really stops. I just analyze stuff all day long. They're from, Looking at the Bitcoin space for the podcast so that I could be knowledgeable for this show, going to work and doing the type of analysis I do at work. And then I come home and I do other types of analysis because it's, this stuff is purely interesting and that's the skill set I built up. 
Yeah, or like, yeah, my, my girlfriend will be like, are you working right now? It's like, uh, I'm not really sure, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get that. Well, I got nothing, Corey. I got nothing. Yeah, that's, that's a, a great way to wrap this up. That's around, it's around 45 minutes, assuming you don't cut out my dogs. <laughs> I'm not just going like, to. Just are like we going to ask the, cut this, it and the then question say that we always dogs ask? barking and then come back to the show? Bark, it doesn't. Bark. It, That's what I'll do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Of course. Ask the show. Ask the question we always ask. But I feel like he's answered it three times. Who cares? I, I would maybe imagine you're, maybe you're because he's been with us since right. the beginning, right? Yeah, man. His his ideas yeah. of the stuff may have changed. All right, all right. In ten words or less, you describe or blockchain or <laughs> cryptocurrency. Uh, yeah, I wasn't. I feel like I've. I would love to go compare what I'm about to say to the old one. I couldn't remember if you were going to say what is Bitcoin or what is blockchain. Um, I would say these are all. Hmm, let me think. I think feel like my answer would be different for any of those questions: Bitcoin, blockchain, or cryptocurrency. Which one do you want to hear? Actually, I don't know, man. I don't even know how to ask the question anymore. <laughs> I usually Let's ask the question with, with the, to like I, I change it based on who we're talking to. So like if we're talking to like someone who's solely working on Bitcoin, I'll say Bitcoin. If someone's kind of around the whole block looking at everything, I'll say blockchain. If someone's talking about like a financial analyst, I'll say probably cryptocurrency, whatever. But you're kind of as an all analyst, right. you look at all these different things. So pick whichever one you want Let's to go talk. With blockchain. I'm going to go with something really lame and just see if you guys don't like it. I think Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, and blockchain are just the future and the most exciting technologies of our entire generation. And they're bridging, well, now that I'm at like 50 words, (laughs) bridging kind of economics, math, computer science, and just like getting everyone involved in this global economy. It's just the coolest shit ever. If anyone listening isn't, head over heels with this stuff. I don't know how you wouldn't be listening to the Bitcoin podcast, but uh, Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, and blockchain are my life, and I love it. So go crypto. Definitely over 10 words, there you go. but I like it. That was the most <laughs> passionate words I think we've ever had anyone speak. That's, that's I, felt, awesome. I felt really sentimental after that and thinking that I might repeat my same answer from two years ago, so I decided to go off the deep end a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> You definitely yeah. did say that last time. <laughs> Well, I think that's it. Thanks for stopping by, Alex. Man, thank you guys so much for having me on again. And uh, happy to jump on for my fifth, sixth, seventh, ninth, and however many interviews you'll ever let me have. Yeah, always. You got a permanent open invite. Sweet. Well, I'm sure we will keep in touch about cryptocurrency on Reddit and Twitter and stuff. But thanks again, guys. All right, man. All right. Later, y'all.